Do any of you ever suffer from option anxiety? I do. I call the automated number and I start to sweat. Because I'm afraid that one of the 14 options that they offer won't be an option that I need. And so I'll have to press option 15, which is the option for more options, and then I'll have to listen to more options. Now I would press option 15 from the beginning and skip all the rest, but at the very beginning of the message they say, please listen carefully as some of our options have changed. So you never know which option is the option for more options. And then if you hesitate too long and don't enter any option at all, a voice comes on and says, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that option. Please enter your option. Sweating, just telling you about it. Options, options, options. Recently, I was with a family member in his vehicle, and our task was simple. It was to both order and pick up pizza and salad on our way back home. The pizza order was executed with relative ease. The salad order was a different matter. A family member said, I I would also like to order a salad. What salad would you like? What are my options? Greek salad, Caesar salad, Cobb salad, American salad. Well, what's on the American salad? Iceberg lettuce, tomato, onions, cucumbers, carrots. Okay, I'll take the American salad. All right, what toppings would you like on that? But you just... Can you just put the toppings on the side? You want your salad toppings on the side? Just give me fries. And in that fateful response, all my options for a heart-healthy dinner evaporated, and we enjoyed pizza and french fries. Now, we've all been where Roy, I'm sorry, that undefined family member... Has been. Option anxiety. It makes us think that all of life is one big option. Ours to choose. Well, this morning, I hope to alleviate a little of that option anxiety. While it is true that God does give us choices, the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, belief, faith, No faith, heaven, hell, some things are not optional. And so the one truth, just one truth, that I hope to embed in each of our hearts this morning is this truth. Bearing fruit in Christ and bearing fruit for Christ is not optional. You can't press one to be a fruit-bearing Christian. Or option two, to be a non-fruit-bearing Christian. Not an option. There's only one. Every disciple of Christ must bear fruit. That's what we're going to talk about as we come once again this week to John chapter 15. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. And when you found chapter 15, if you would stand so that we might hear, read together, the word of the living God.
John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, Jesus is speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Father in heaven, we pray now that as we come to your word, that y- you would fill us with joy, full joy, because it is your word, Lord. It is your will for our lives. So bless us, convict us, turn us into fruit bearers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Well, I begin this epilogue to the epilogue with a quote from famous 19th century pastor, preacher, author, and incidentally, a champion cricket player, J.C. Ryle. He, He writes about this passage, the greatest saints have always lived nearest to Christ. The greatest saints have always lived nearest to Christ. Probably no one in this room would disagree with that statement. But here's the problem with a quote like that. It causes our option mode to kick in. And we think, well, I've never been interested in being a great saint. I opt for something of a lesser sort of saint. I'll leave the fruit-bearing stuff for the great ones. Well, with strong words that come not from me, but that come from God and from Christ himself, I pray to banish that kind of thinking in all of us this morning. Six times in these verses, Jesus talks about bearing fruit. In verses 4 and 5, how to bear fruit by abiding. In verse 2, the consequences of not bearing fruit, being cut off or taken away. In verse 8, the purposes of bearing fruit, which are that it glorifies God and it proves that we are his disciples. Six times bear fruit, much fruit, as Jesus says in verse 5. And as powerful as Jesus' words are here, as significant and attention-getting as the repetition of these words might be, they are not unique words. Jesus here is simply speaking the words out loud that finally culminate and finally fulfill what God 
has purposed from the time of creation. So for a few minutes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave these verses in John and we're going to take a little trip through Scripture. Not, not a long one, but we're taking the trip so that we could see that the purpose that God has for us is all through Scripture. And in that way, we might feel even more the weight and the import of Jesus' words here to you and me that we should bear fruit, which in turn should make us run to Him and graciously accept the offer of Himself that He extends to us to be divine for us. So, our first stop, it's an obvious one. It is in the Garden of Eden. It's the sixth day of creation. God has just created man and woman in his own image and put his blessing upon them. After which comes what has to be one of the most dramatic moments in all of human history. God is about to speak his first ever words to the first ever human beings that he has created. He's already spoken into the chaos and brought order. He's already spoken light into complete and utter darkness, yet no human ear was present to hear those words. What will the first ever words be that the first ever human beings will ever hear? Did I mention these are the first words? These are the words, be fruitful. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man and woman in his own image and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful. There's so much to say here. As this encompasses much more than God ordained procreation. But I'm going to force myself to leave it just at this. God created, God blessed, God commanded, be fruitful. Bearing fruit isn't an option. Next stop, the familiar Genesis chapter 12. The first ever words that God spoke to Abraham when he called Abraham out of darkness and into the glorious light of his presence are these. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so here again, we see the blessing of God. God blesses Abraham so that he might be a blessing beyond himself to all families. All families of all the earth, by his faith and by his obedience, Abraham is to produce fruit that will bless all the earth. Fruit bearing is not optional. God blesses his people so that we might bear fruit. Next stop, Isaiah chapter 5. And we hear a song that Isaiah wrote. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. 
He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? You see the purpose for which God called his people to himself to bear fruit. And please notice that God himself is the one that made all the provisions for his people to fulfill the purpose for which he had created them. He chose a fertile hill. He dug it. He cleared it. He planted choice vines. He built a watchtower. He hewed out of that. God makes provision for his people to bear fruit. Fruit bearing is not optional. Next stop, the prophet Jeremiah chapter 2. God here reminds Israel that he broke their bonds and burst, that he broke their yoke and burst their bonds. That he had set them free from the slavery of Egypt and that he had planted them, listen, a choice vine wholly or completely of pure seed. God did it again. He provided everything his people needed to bear fruit. He gave them their freedom so that they might bear fruit. He made them a choice vine, 100% of pure seed to bear fruit. Fruit bearing is not optional. It's the call of God upon all people of God. One final stop before we go back to John 15. Psalm 80. Asaph is singing his song. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty branches, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Once again, we see the provision of God that results in prolific fruit production. The fruit covered the mountain with shade, sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river at one time. But we know the rest of the story. Israel quickly ceased to produce fruit. And instead of being a God-blessed God-blessing to the nations of the earth, they turned from the one and only true and living God, and they bowed down to and they embraced the idols of the nations that they were supposed to bless. How quickly fruit producers forget their God-ordained purpose and turn away from it. How quickly fruit producers can embrace the idols, the loves of the culture around them. And so Asaph continues his song, with this prayer. And this is the good part. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. The stock that your right hand planted. And for the son. Whom you made strong for yourself. Let your hand be on the man of your right hand. The son of man. Whom you have made strong for yourself. And so here. Look, look. We have a clear connection. Between the vine and Christ, the Son, the Son of Man, Jesus, 
would be the true vine. And that's exactly what Jesus calls himself in John 15, chapter 1. I am the true vine. Isn't God amazing? All this works together. Jesus made this identification of himself. On Thursday night, it was just prior to his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three days prior to that, on Monday morning, the day after Palm Sunday, Jesus was going along with his disciples and he looked and saw a fig tree. And so Jesus went to see if the fig tree had any figs, any fruit on it. And so when he came to the fig tree, he found that it was full of leaves, but it had no fruit. Now listen, green figs, even though not ripe, should have been on that tree. Because sometimes the fruit appears before the leaf, but definitely at the same time as the leaf. But on this tree, there was no fruit. It had the appearance of being healthy. It was flourishing, but it wasn't healthy. And so Jesus said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And they continued on their way to Jerusalem. And they arrived at the temple. And a flurry of activity everywhere. Just like the fig tree had plenteous leaves and the appearance of health, but in reality was unhealthy, so too the temple. Prolific activity everywhere you look, but no true health, no fruit. You know what had happened. It had become a for-profit market. And so Jesus took a whip. And he drove out those who sold and those who bought. And he flipped over the table of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And yet you have made it a den of robbers. The next day, Tuesday morning, as Jesus and the disciples passed the fig tree, They saw that that non-fruit-producing tree had withered away right down to its roots. So these are two, two of the dramatic acts that the disciples had just witnessed before Jesus said to them, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so when they hear these words, it's very difficult for me to imagine that they did not have in their minds this image of a withered fig tree or the overturned tables or the tossed out religious frauds. Jesus is serious about producing fruit. His disciples must do it. Well, I labor long over all of these passages of Scripture for this purpose. To expel, to eject, to erase, to eradicate the thought that the option exists for a disciple of Jesus not to bear fruit. Or that you can opt to be A nominal Christian, a Christian in name only or by outward appearance only. Hashtag withered fig tree, hashtag 
Jesus whip. I can't find in John 15 or anywhere in Scripture an option for a non-fruit-producing disciple of Christ. In reality, our only option is between fruit. Some fruit or much fruit. That's our option. R.C. Sproul writes, If a person claims to have faith, yet brings forth no fruit whatsoever, it's proof positive that the claim to faith is a false claim. True faith inevitably and necessarily bears fruit. The absence of fruit indicates the absence of faith. And this from Hudson Taylor that was printed in your bulletin. There are not two Christs, an easygoing one for easygoing Christians, and a suffering, toiling one for exceptional believers. There's only one Christ. Are you willing to abide in Him and thus to bear much fruit? Now, it isn't a fair question for me to ask you right now, what fruit are you producing? What fruit are you bearing for Christ? That will have to wait until next week, Lord willing, in the epilogue to the epilogue of the epilogue. You know, you get in John 15 and all that grape juice, sticky. You kind of get stuck there, but what a great place to be. For now, it's enough if you and I, all of us, are convinced of these truths that we must produce fruit, that we are created to produce fruit. That's been God's purpose for His image-bearing people from the beginning of time. That God blesses us so that we might produce fruit. That it is that for which God makes every perfect provision for us in Jesus. That it is bearing fruit. What Christ empowers us to do as we abide in Him and His strength flows to us and through us. That fruit producing is a grace. Because we are living in and flourishing in our element. Challenging though it may be, and the angst and the disquietude and the striving to be other than Jesus has called and equipped us to be ceases. It's enough if we ask God, you and I, even in this very moment, to cause us to have a greater desire for producing fruit than we have desire to live just for ourselves and our wants and our gains and our advancements and our own comforts. It's enough to ask Him to inspire in us the desire to be a great saint that lives always near Christ to produce fruit for Him. Andrew Murray writes, The branch does not exist for itself, but to bear fruit that can proclaim the excellence of the vine, the excellence of Christ. It has no reason of existence except to be of service to the vine, service to Christ. Glorious image of the calling of the believer 
and the entireness of his consecration to the service of his Lord. Disciples of Christ must produce fruit. It isn't an option. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would convict us of this one truth. Should we not already be convicted by it and living in light of it? Make each of us in this place fruit producers for you and through you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.